0: Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope, with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Today, let's join Pastor Ralph with a message entitled, When Things Go Wrong. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. Genesis chapter 16, we're talking about faith that keeps on growing, and that's the series. Uh, The whole idea is that we would continue to grow in our faith, that we wouldn't kind of have this attitude that says, oh, I became a Christian, is this all there is? No, I became a Christian, and this is the beginning point. And uh, you know, we want to we want to grow until the day the Lord comes back. We want to grow until uh, the day we go home to see Him and 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 know Him more deeply, more intimately, and become more useful people as a result of it. But tonight we're going to talk about when things go wrong, and uh, you know what happens to your faith. Uh, how do you handle the circumstance? How do you and the Lord get together on it? And this is a little bit of an odd message because. It's, it's kind of jumpy. It's telling the story of some people. And it starts out by telling the story of two people who are supposed to be people uh, with a lot going on for them in terms of faith. And things go wrong in their life, but it's largely their fault. And then they end up bringing somebody else into their miseries. And it's not their fault at all. And it goes really kind of wrong for them. And so you, it, it, it kind of it starts, and then it takes a little different directional turn. But I think at each point it's going to touch you and and speak to your life. It starts out. Do you ever doubt God? I I don't mean that in terms of some just rhetorical. Do you ever doubt God? I mean, do you ever doubt God? You know, you ever come to the place where? Um, I mean, sometimes you you go. Are you really even there? And, you know, I think sometimes as a pastor. Part of my job is to doubt God. Part of my job is to always make sure I'm asking the hard questions and that there are good answers for them. The creation kind of questions, the evolution kind of questions, the, you know, the, 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 the big issues of morality kind of questions. But I'm talking more about in your day-to-day life. You, know, you, you have some um, sense of a stake in the future, that God has come to me and he's shown me that we're going here. Or he's shown me that this is the way it's gonna work out. I, I, I'm gonna go ahead and start this business because I believe that God is in it. I'm going to enter into this marriage because I believe that it's something that God approves of. I'm gonna do this thing or that thing or the other thing and, and, and then you come to the place where you begin to to run fresh out of faith. And then you kinda of do stupid things as a result, you know? Have you ever compromised? You know, you found yourself in and uh, you let somebody else take the fall for something that you did that was wrong. Or you cheated on something financially. I mean, people do that. Uh, but not out of pure greed like those guys, but just out of, I'm scared, and so I take a shortcut here someplace. Or, or I, I have an opportunity to be a peacemaker and and really help a couple of people heal their relationship. But I chicken out because I really don't trust God. And then something bad happens as a result. Um, you know, I, I think as we kind of look at these issues... Uh, our, 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 our walk with faith is very often punctuated by moments of terror. And I read a book that talks about the first couple chapters of Ephesians and what the Lord says about what we have in Him and our position in Him and how we don't need to be afraid of, of circumstance. We don't need to be afraid of what the devil will throw at us, that we can continue to trust the Lord. But the truth is we don't always. And sometimes because we don't, we go out and, and, and we mess things up in a real good way and we find ourselves hurting. Well, that's the story that you get into tonight in the story of in the life of Abram and Sarah. If you remember, Abram, his name is later changed to Abraham, uh, but Abram is a guy that the Lord calls and says, I want you to come and walk with me. He's a, an idolater. He lives in a family where people worship idols. And that probably set him up pretty good for the Lord anyway. Because if you pray to a rock, it doesn't answer you. And uh, finally, God comes along and, and speaks to him and says, I, I'm going to meet you at your point of need. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Abram didn't have a child. He lived in a, in a culture where... It was almost a demand issue that you have offspring, that you have uh, children to leave your inheritance to and leave your name behind and all of that. And Abram had no son. And and the Lord spoke to him and said, if you'll trust me and get up and leave your father's household, leave the idols behind, leave the old life behind and come to this new place, I'll give you the place and I'll give you a son and I'll, I'll give you a nation of people through that son. And then I'm going to bless the whole world through those people. And Abraham, the Bible says, believed God. And he took off and he went hiking down to Canaan. And as he gets to Canaan, he finds himself uh, in the place that the Lord said, Go there and I'll bless you. And uh, he gets there and there's a famine. And Abram keeps on going and he heads down to Egypt. And the Bible doesn't say that was a right thing or a wrong thing. It doesn't say if he should have stayed and toughed it out and trusted the Lord. Or if he should have just gone ahead and gone to Egypt. It just says he went to Egypt. But when he gets to Egypt... He compromises very seriously. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Egyptian king takes a look at his wife and is very interested. And Abram says, take her, she's my sister. And it says in those verses, it's Genesis chapter 12, that you get into this, that the king shows favor to Abram. And he gives him a lot of gifts, a lot of livestock. And then it says he gave him men servants and maid servants. Now, the word servant is a, is, a, is a word that throws you off here because really what they are is slaves. This is a time, the Bible is not endorsing slavery at all. In fact, the undoing of slavery has happened because of Christianity around the world. There are still six nations that practiced slavery in the year 2002. Interestingly, all of them are Islamic nations. And God has stood against slavery. So there's nothing here said about that it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And the king of Egypt gives Abram these slaves. And one of them is this woman apparently named Hagar. The Bible doesn't really say that, but she's an Egyptian who's a slave of Abram's wife. And you know they've been in Egypt and this transaction happened. And if you look at the text in Genesis 12, you get the feeling that the king is maybe trying to do a a, a like-kind swap. I'm taking uh, Sarai because she's such a babe in here. You can have this person. So you don't know this. This I'm kind of looking into the text and going, you know, what are the possibilities here? But there is a fair chance that Abram had interest in this woman, Hagar. When the king finds out that Sarah is really his wife, he kicks him out of the country. We went over that a few weeks ago. And so now they're back in Canaan. And uh, 10 or 11 years have gone by since that experience in Egypt as we start chapter 16. So you got the background. And uh, uh, if 10 years have gone by... Then 11 years have gone by roughly since God promised Abram that you're going to have a son. And God is being a little slow in his promise. And Abram and Sarah here chicken out in terms of faith. Uh, it says, Sarah, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarah took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar. You could look at Genesis 12:16 to hear the story I just told you. And she gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. Now this was a, a culturally appropriate Thing to do. Not a thing that God says He'll bless or a godly thing or a righteous thing. It was just a thing that they did in their society. Like there's a lot that's appropriate in our politically correct society that's not biblical. And it was a thing that a woman could take a slave girl, give her to the husband, get her pregnant, and then they would go so far as the woman would sit in front of her so that when the baby was born, it was born in the lap of the lady who was the. The owner of this slave person. So here's this person, this, this human being, with absolutely no rights. She's just being used to as, as, as fertile ground for, give me a baby. And again, not a righteous thing, and certainly not a thing having to do with faith, but a thing that was appropriate in their culture. And then it says, she gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children. Sarah, I said to Abram, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her, selfish through and through. And Abram agreed, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram, and then notice what it says, as his wife. Now this is a cut above. She's suddenly, uh, according her, uh, the rights of a a wife, a, a secondary wife, you might say, in a society that was practicing polygamy. And so, again, culturally appropriate, but certainly not right, And so Hagar becomes Abram's second wife. And it says this happened ten years after Abram first arrived in the land of Canaan. Now, I've told you that it's appropriate in their culture for a woman to do this thing. And it's appropriate in their culture for there to be a second wife in a family. And, and, And if it's appropriate in culture, and the Bible certainly had said nothing wrong against it, what's wrong with it? Well, what's wrong with it is that God said, Abram, I'm going to give you a child through your wife Sarai. Trust me in this. And they're blowing all trust and all faith and all confidence in the Lord out the window. And all they're doing is is diving deep into compromise at this point. Are you following me? Okay. I'm trying to take a little time and build a base here. Uh, But these people are terribly wrong. They're people who God has chosen and said i'm going to bless you and have started out terribly right in faith but they're terribly wrong and they're wrong simply because when fear came knocking at their door they gave in you know you can imagine sarah going to abram and going um you know that woman uh, hagar that's my servant that you've been kind of looking at i've been seeing you do that uh, why don't you just go ahead and have sex with her and have a kid and then the promise that god made to us will will be fulfilled Well, that has nothing to do with the promise that God made to us. Uh, That has to do with maybe trying to make your marriage work. Who knows what, but it's a compromise. Abram compromises himself when he jumps into the relationship. And the scripture goes on and says that they enter into what now has to be seen as sin. Uh, The next question that I put up in the notes is, can we escape God's mercy? Well, Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt and then sir I said to Abram it's all your fault and now this servant of mine is pregnant and she despises me and the word despise now means she she makes light of me she blows me off she doesn't pay any attention to me she shows me no respect she despises me though I gave her the privilege of sleeping with you and the Lord will make you pay for doing this to me and, and you know and I uh, you know I didn't know how to handle this last night I, I got up here and and we're, and we're talking about this whole thing. And You, you think I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about that? This is probably a woman that came into their family through the transaction in Egypt? Hmm? It looks pretty close, huh? You, you, you think Abram never had any lustful thoughts toward Sarah or toward Hagar? I mean, if she was given by the king, it was when Sarai was in the harem someplace and she's given to Abram. You should have seen them last night. You know, it's mostly single young adults last night. And we start talking about sex. They don't want to touch it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here it is. It's real. These are real flesh and blood people that love God and, and, and then are tempted and they mess up. And now what do you do with that? Well, here's the comforting thing that you do with that. You go read Genesis chapter 17. And you realize, we're not going to read it tonight, but you realize God never quit working in the lives of these two people. He continued to follow through. Uh, he laid low for a little while in their life and let them kind of roll in it. Figure out what, there was, what they were doing and get themselves at a place where they wanted his leadership in their life all over again. But he never quit on them. He never gave up on them. And here you see this dysfunctional household. And, 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 and she's the one that starts the issue. He embraces the issue. Now she comes back and says, it's all your fault. I gave her the privilege of sleeping with you, you old turkey. And, uh, and, and now she's despising me. And it's, you're the one to blame and God's going to judge you. And Abram, great man of spiritual leadership that he is, uh, responds to her with this. He says in verse 6, since she's your servant, you may deal with her as you see fit. In other words, he just backs away and distances himself from this whole thing. And he's ever been as much a part of this thing as she is. And you see the guy just totally cop out. Now we begin to move on to talking about the woman, Hagar. This is a real person. It's real easy to read through this story and skip over Hagar. Because as we're reading through these, these, these chapters of Genesis, we're talking about the man who's held up as the role model of faith. And I think the Lord shows the rotten thing that's a part of his life as well as the good things. So he'll give hope to us because there's always a rotten side to us. And, and God wants to say, I'm not through with you. I'm not giving up on you. But it's so easy because it's so much about Abram and Sarai to just kind of just skip past Hagar and not think about this is a human being who's been mistreated since probably childhood. She's a slave. She's been handed off to this man that she doesn't even know at a time that his wife is being taken away from him. There's obvious reasons what what is going on. And now she's having to work in this household. She moves away from wherever she used to live. So she's away from her family. She has no hope of ever seeing them again. And then she's passed off as chattel. Why don't you sleep with my slave girl so I can have a baby? And she's not even considered as though she's going to have the rights of motherhood in this thing. And then as some sort of an afterthought, uh, Hagar is allowed to call herself the second wife of, of Abram. And then when she starts to feel pretty good about herself and go, I, I have the baby, I'm going to have the baby, and I'm starting to have some rights here, and I'm important, and, and, and you're kind of turning into some wrinkled up old person, and maybe he likes me better than he likes you, because that had to be a part of the equation. Uh, then all of a sudden Sarah starts to get just blow out with anger. And it says here that she treated her harshly in the end of verse 6. And Hagar ran away. I went and looked up the word harshly in the Hebrew dictionary, and what I came up with was verbal abuse. But I've got to think that there was probably an overload of work and a whole bunch of other stuff going on as well. Enough to the point that a person who's several months pregnant is willing to endure the desert to get out of this thing, and Hagar runs away. And if we had time, I'd I'd ask you to sit and talk and, and discuss with each other, what would you do if you were Hagar? Would you run away or would you stay there? Because if you know the environment, running away almost means death for sure. We know that she ran in the direction of Egypt. We can tell that in the next couple of verses. Uh, We know that that if you could make good time and and, and you were well protected, it would be about a 13-day journey back to Egypt. But you're going through a desert and there's no water. And there's scorpions that can kill you. And there's snakes that can kill you. And this is a time when there's very limited policing. And we know one thing about the ancient world was travel in the daytime was dangerous and it was certain doom at nighttime, And here's a lady all by herself out there trying to plug away through the desert. Uh, what would you do? Would it be the right thing to go and take your chances? Or would it be the right thing to stay back with Abram and Sarah and take your chances there? Uh, pretty difficult circumstance. But uh, she, she goes running away. And what we're going to find is that she can't escape God's mercy. And again, I want to bring it back to you. What is there in your life that you would like to run from? What circumstance has has appeared on the horizon that you had nothing to do with that threatens to overwhelm you and you'd like to just split? What circumstance is there that is born of some compromise that you made in your life, some Abram and Sarah kind of move here? Well, God's not coming through. Let's help him out a little bit. What's happened just because... Well, maybe something got left over from the old style and the old way you used to live before. You knew the Lord and now it's cropped up in your life and and you just don't know what to do and you're scared out of your mind and you just want to flat run away from the circumstance. Whatever that is, whatever is going on, what you and I need to know is that we cannot run away from God's mercy. The Bible says, Law, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In the whole New Testament is about God forgiving our sins and coming to us in mercy when we deserve just the opposite of mercy. God is there to be with us and be with us for the long haul. Does this make sense? Now as we get into it, we've got to start to think about Hagar. She probably wasn't a believer at this point. She probably was a follower of the ancient Egyptian religions. They worshipped a scorpion queen and whatever that's all about. And here this lady has an encounter with God. Uh, the, the next question is, where are you going? You know, the, so the angel asked her, where are you going? Verse 7 The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. And this is how we know she was going to Egypt. From Canaan, along the way to Egypt, is a place called Shur. And so she was moving south back toward Egypt. And It says, The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? Well, I am running away from my mistress, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You know, there's no sonogram or anything like that, but the angel can confidently say it will be a son. And you are to name him Ishmael. And the word Ishmael means literally, you ought to write this in your Bible, God shall hear. You are to name your son Ishmael. God shall hear. So anytime anybody calls his name, they're talking about the Lord. And then he says, This son of yours will be a wild one, free and untamed as a wild donkey. Actually, the the, the scripture literally says he'll be a wild ass of a man, and no man will be able to tame him. It says he'll be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. Now, who are the brothers of Ishmael? Well, the, the, the Jews, because Abram was going to have another son through Sarai sometime later, and that son would be named Isaac, and he'd be the father of all the Jewish people. And, and if you read the Quran, you'll find out that every uh, Arabic person in the world traces their lineage all the way back to Ishmael. And the Arabs say, the Holy Land is ours, because Ishmael was the first son of Abram, and the land was promised to Abram. And the Jews will say, no, it's ours, because Ishmael wasn't supposed to be there. That's a mistake. And it was through Isaac that the promise was supposed to come. And And it says here that he'll not get along with his brothers. These guys have been at war for the last 3,500 years. This thing's been going on. We'll see the war get started as soon as Isaac is born here. Uh, Ishmael's teasing the little kid and won't let up on him. And, and, and this thing just goes on and on and on. But I want you to see about Hagar. That God looks on Hagar as a person. God cares about her, and he... He follows up on her, and he won't let her run away, and he reaches out to her when she's off toward destruction, because where Hagar is headed is to die. There's no way she's going to make it to Egypt. She's headed to die. And that brings me to ask this question, where are you going? Where are you going? You know, I see so many times people who who, who run away from a circumstance. They've come to believe in God. They've come to have a confidence that He's there, and... And, and they begin to trust in him enough that they let him in on their decisions, and, and decisions are going pretty well, and, and, and life is working pretty good, and, and you're going, you start that business, and, and, and you're doing really well, and then you come up against some problem where the, the bank suddenly wants to dry up the line of credit or something, and so you're just getting mad and go into self-destructive mode, and I'm out of here. And you know what? Being out of here and on the run is only going to cripple you. Or you're a person that has, has moved into the Lord and uh, maybe you lived a promiscuous lifestyle before that you were a Christian. And now you came and you, ended up, you got married to somebody and, and, and then suddenly everything's not working real good. And, and so you go, I'm out of here. And there's such a temptation to go back to the old lifestyle, to go back to the old ways. For some of us, the old place, see, she was going back to Egypt where she came from. She was a slave in Egypt. She would have died in the desert. For some of us, it's I'm going to go back into my hard shell of pride and I'm not going to let anybody into my life. For some of us, to go back to the old life is anger and the sense of control. For some of us, it may be alcohol, whatever. But I think God will always come to you and say, Hey, where are you going? I'm trying to bless you. This woman, Hagar, she got caught in a lawnmower. Here's these two people that are supposed to be great examples of faith and they have a dysfunctional marriage and they pull her into their party. And now she's having to, to basically bear the result of their confusion. And she's going, I'm out of here. And God's going, that's not good enough. You go back there and I'll bless you. Notice the words that he said to her. They're hard words. You look at them and you go, oh my gosh, why would God even do that? Verse 9, it says, The angel of the Lord said, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Return and submit. Where are you going? Where are you headed? You know, I talked to somebody not too long ago and they'd they gotten a job. A guy got out of prison and he got a job and he was doing really good and, and then the boss crossed him a little bit and he blew up, acted all tough and took off. Lost the job. Return and submit. See, we live in a world that, that wants to center everything on every individual and ultimately society can't even work that way. If we're all just running away from each other, we've lost. Character counts for something. And character has to do with the ability to, to remain steady under pressure, actually. You get that out of the New Testament. To remain steady under pressure. Return and submit. Return and submit. Here's a scripture reference. Write this one down. Where it says the word submit. Circle that word. Circle the word return and circle the word submit. And write this, word, this, this scripture reference. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 and verse 7 and I'll, ju- I'll just quote them to you First Peter chapter 5 verse 6 says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He'll exalt you in due time He'll lift you up in due time return and submit go back to her I know she's a turkey I know she's giving you a hard time but if you'll trust me God's hand and you'll humble yourself under my hand in that terrible circumstance I'll lift you up at the proper time I'll bless you And then verse 7 says, casting all your anxiety on the Lord, for He cares for you. Go back there and and realize that you can let Him in on the problem, that He can bear the burden, and you go back and and, and handle it, you and God, together. There's a partnership now, if you're wrapped up in Christ. You and he together can handle this thing. Something mystical is trying to happen in your life. Something supernatural is trying to happen in your life. God wants to join you. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. You know, like a yoke that's a thing the oxen pulls a cart with or a plow with. Take my yoke and learn of me. And what's he saying? Let's go partners in this. There's two collars in this ox collar. Let's pull this load together. You go back and you submit, and I'll be there with you, and I'll bless you. And he tells Hagar, I'm going to bless you with so many descendants that they not, they're not countable. You're going to be an honored woman for the rest of human history, and she is. She's seen as the as the mother of all the the, the all the Arab nations. You've been listening to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe.